Hey everybody, welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and today I'm joined on the Skype on my phone by Todd Strauss-Scholson, director of the new film, The Final Girls. Todd, welcome to the show! Hi, Jeffrey. There's two things I want the listeners to know about Todd. One is that I've known Todd for some time, uh, because he used to direct college humor videos, uh, but also that I've always been a, a legitimate fan of, of your work, Todd. Not only the, those college humor videos, but also the short films and everything else you've done. You've been a real, you've been a real bright light in my creative life. I know that when I make something, you will understand it and retweet it. That's that is that's what I wanted to hear. But the other <laughs> thing I want people to know about you is that you really know a lot about movies. And I know a lot of people that know a lot about movies, but like if you put you and Pat Castles in a room, like we could like power an airplane based on what will what will come out of that. So I wanted to get you talking about movies today, and I thought let's get really granular and focus on some of our all-time favorite movie moments. All I'm right. ready. I'm ready to do it. Pat Castles and I have closed out many a winter night at bars in New York, just drinking hot toddies and just bullshitting about this stuff that is meaningless. But it's right. real fun for us to try to outsmart each other. So let's see how we do here. I mean, so movie moments. Let's get this. I I, try, I thought it'd be fun to try to be as specific as possible. When I first pitched you this idea, when I emailed you and said, "Let's talk about movie moments," uh, what what was the first one that came to mind? Would you? Is there like a favorite that just jumped right to mind? No, I just kind of went through a lot of the movies that I own, or I just tried to, you know, as I as I sort of like design these things I make, I really design them. I'm trying to sort of like get into old movies and sort of watch things that are just great, innovative sort of cinematic ideas and try to take those things and beat them. I'm very attracted to movies that are like super visual and that use the form to communicate the story or the emotion. You know, I get real bored when movies are just like photographs of like white people standing and talking like that's not exciting to me. So what's a movie you saw recently that kind of cleared that bar for you? Oh, it's real hard, man. Recently I'm really into like Paolo Sorrentino movies. Who's this Italian filmmaker who's like famous for Il Divo or this must be the place or the great beauty was recent and youth is coming out. And this guy, this guy is just really disruptive and the movies are beautiful and full of humanity, but they're also funny and they're stylish, but it's not getting in the way. And, they're just crazy. The tone of them are so crazy, but they're just full of empathy and they're just gorgeous. And he's doing just like super disruptive visual stuff. Like his establishing shots will not establish anything. They'll actually confuse you. So it's like taking the language and then like fucking with it in a way that's very exciting. You know. So what's a moment in one of his movies that stood out to you? There's so many. I mean, you know, uh, there's one. There's there's here's a great one. Here's the way into a scene. So he'll be doing a movie about a guy whose father is dying, and the guy comes to New York City to um, see his dying father and find out the you know meaning of his father's life. And he'll be and the scene is he's going to be sitting in the park deciding if he's going to you know go live on the father's legacy, for instance. So how would you get into the scene of a guy sitting in a park and just sort of contemplating? I mean, some people would just like shoot a shot of him on a bench in the close up, and that would be it. But this guy does he just like starts the shot the, the scene with two incredibly paced up, fast-moving shots of people that we have not met or seen in the movie who aren't important. We see just like a businessman on a bench and the camera like zooms by him. Then we see our lead and the camera zooms by him. What is the camera? Where is it moving? Then we reveal it was the point of view of a guy on rollerblades 
who's again not important to the story. And then the guy in rollerblades zooms by, and then in another moving shot, the guy in rollerblades just sort of trips and falls and crashes real hard. And the camera tracks over, and we see the guy, the protagonist of the movie, just watching all this go down. And so almost the establishing shot gives you like a slice of someone else's world and then brings you back into our story. So the movies feel dense with humanity, and you would never do that in a regular movie. But here, it just creates a weird fabric of a tone. So you said a, a regular movie. What is this movie if not a regular movie? Is it a foreign film? Is that the distinction we're making here? I mean, I mean, a regular movie is, you know, where, I mean, it's a bummer because it feels like most movies, I guess studio movies, but even indie movies, the, um, the form and the aesthetic, they're just not using the cinema in so many ways. You know what I mean? It really has become almost like an information, an inf- a way to sort of download information as quickly as possible. It's a little bit like TV. Like, to me, I'm the most excited when, you know, film or the camera or the style um, is like a performance medium. It's helping to give information or jokes. It's not just a capture medium. And when you watch a lot of movies now, they feel like it's just a capture medium. Even if the movies are great, like, I love Judd Apatow movies, but, you know, it's just a capture medium. You're just, like, propping the camera up and shooting people talking. You're pointing the camera at the lines. And that's not what your favorite movies do. You know, you see Goodfellas, yeah, any, any of your favorite movies. They're not totally that. And that's what I'm most excited about in a film. All that jazz, you know? I mean, you can tell. You can tell when there's a voice a voice and um, a visual style. So you just want the director using kind of all the, like the, the movie's not just what the actors say and what the writers wrote, but it's also uh, how the camera moves and the coloring and like all these things are used, you know, supposed to be working together and to tell a movie, right? Is, am, I, am I understanding you correctly? I mean, isn't that the language of movies? That's what a movie is. I mean, it's not just like a live concert. No way. Yeah, I mean, a movie not, is not... a 90 minute picture. It comes out in the <laughs> summer. It's based on a Marvel comic book and it ends with a stinger that says that's up the next Marvel comic book. Everything else is a, a foreign film to me. Now. I, I know, I know that it's, it's all they're making the same. Com- they're making the same corporations that are selling you hamburgers and iPads. I like, but I do I love just, those movies, and I want to just so people understand the distinction between what we're talking about here. Like, what is a good movie that you think people have seen, or that you think people have seen? You mentioned Goodfellas. Like, what's a good movie that does that? That uses like all this behind the camera stuff. That I mean, I mean, Mad Max did it this summer. Mad Max is incredible. So, how did Mad Max do that? Mad Max is like, this is a visionary filmmaker, the way that it looks, the way that it's moving, every shot is sped up, the way the action scenes are sort of conceived and framed. I mean, you can feel, like, you know, you know here's a good way, here's like a good litmus test, you know? Like, you know, sometimes you'll hear a filmmaker in an interview, and the way that their, like, their vibe, and then you watch the movie, and you're like, oh yeah, that's that guy. It's like Scorsese sits in and get an, gets an interview, and He's just a million miles a second, you know? It's just like so, you know? And he's like so smart in everything in film history. And then you watch his movies, and that's how they feel. You watch Wes Anderson get interviewed, and he's like sort of a weird, awkward, maybe autistic, but like hilarious, sweet, funny weirdo. And you watch the movies, and that's, that's who what he is. Like. Yeah, that's perfect. And I love, I love when you can, you know, you get to know the storyteller, and then you watch his stories. And it's like you're listening to Spalding Greg, you know, or a great stand-up. It's just like this, a great stand-up. The delivery of the joke is almost as important as the joke. And you fall in love with the voice. You fall in love with the rhythm of the movies. Right. And when it's just point and shoot, you don't get the sense of a storyteller. And I'm those attracted to the storytellers. Can you think of a moment in the new Mad Max, or I'd also accept anything from the original Mad Max trilogy, a specific moment that, like, really wowed you? 
Oh man, the new one what really wowed me. I mean, that I mean, the guitar player with the fire is a pretty crazy idea. Using music that way, the tornado was a great thing. How simple the structure of the movie was. Yeah, Mad Max is actually a movie full of those moments. Because even just let's take that guitar player for a second. Like one, it's just like the first appearance of him, totally awesome. But then there's also the part. Maybe this is the first appearance, but maybe it's another scene with, where his guitar is throwing, throwing flames, and that's an awesome moment. And then the one I'm really thinking about when you bring that guy up is there's a great scene where he's kind of sleeping in his harness mm-hmm. and and then like the the war drums or whatever starts sounding he just jumps into the guitar position and that's such a cool moment because it's like it's fun it's you I assure you you've never seen that before in a movie and uh, but also it like tells you something about the story like it tells you something you know you get a, a bit of a view uh point of view as this guy not just as like the guitar soldier but also like you know he goes to sleep sometimes it gives you a, it makes him a more complete person I agree. I think that it's always exciting, especially when you're designing a movie. I mean, first, you should design the movie. I mean, that's kind of the job of the filmmaker. But, you know, if there's going to be a scene that feels romantic, like, how do you make the music of your film feel romantic? Not the music, but, like, how do you make the, the just the voice, the tone, the, the movement, the, how do you make the movie help to do what the story is doing? You know what I mean? So... You know, you know, you ever see those movies that feel like, you know, like you, like Requiem for a Dream makes you feel like you're addicted, you know, like it makes you, f- or like Black Swan makes you feel like you are literally having a panic attack. Yeah. I love when the movies are helping to do the story as opposed to just photographing a thing that's happening at a, you know, at arm's length away from the lens. That's just not that exciting to me. Comedy and drama. Is it the same thing with this where the... the- role of the filmmaker is the same or is it um is it a different approach i think that probably it is it seems to be a different approach i mean but i don't think it should be i think that i think well i had this amazing experience we, we knew each other then i mean i when i was working with you guys and i went to asia for uh, like nine months of my life and directed a tv show in asia and i came back and i was like this in-house director at the improv on melrose and i got to hang out with stand-ups all the time and it was so exciting to hear stand-ups talk about like the music or the algorithms almost, the equations of a joke. And it was very clear that the delivery of the joke was almost as important as the joke. So if you have like shit jokes, but you have like an amazing presence on stage, you're going to get laughs. And if you have the smartest material and you get up on stage and you're nervous and you're slow and it's weird, it's not going to work. And so it became so clear to me that, that the delivery of the joke is almost as important as the material and that your job as a filmmaker is delivering. And you can deliver with a million different techniques. So, you know, I, I used to, when I was a kid, I'd watch like Michael Bay movies. I'd go frame by frame through Fincher movies. And I would just try to learn what they were doing. How many frames? Is it all? It's eight frames, eight frames, eight frames. Is that why it feels like a computer made this movie? Or Michael Bay's like 18 moving shots to get a guy to get from a door to a chair. And I just like love the language of how to use the camera and how to use the, the form. And so suddenly when you hear a stand-up talk about, you know, you know, you kind of got to like, you know, just bail out at the end or add a comma there or change the word this to that, you know, or make or say something really mean, really happy. And you start to get the sense of the tone of those things. You can do all that stuff cinematically. And that became a very exciting sort of thing to, to work on. And there's not a lot of guys that do it. I mean, Wes Anderson can do it and Edgar Wright can do it. John Landis used to be able to do it. You look at the tone of American Werewolf in London. That's like very difficult to pull that off. It's scary when it's got to be. It's funny when it's got to be. It's dreamy when it's got to be. It's a little bit heightened, but the real people, I mean, that's what it is, but less and less and less of that. What for um, you is a great cinematic comedy? A great cinematic comedy? 
Um, that's a good question. I mean, um, I mean, let's go through it. I, I mean, recently, a great cinematic comedy. I mean, the Wes Anderson movies are beautiful cinematic comedies. I thought Budapest was just like so exciting and great. I, I like Budapest too, and I like most all the Wes Anderson movies. I have to look at a list real quick. Um, but I don't know <laughs> if I think of them as comedies. Like, I, and I really like Grand Budapest Hotel, but, and like I probably laughed a few times. But is it a comedy? I guess it's not quite a drama. You know, it's like somewhere in between. I'm talking like comedy. Like you're gonna laugh a lot when you. What, what's a movie that always makes you laugh? Uh, I mean, those movies make me crack up. Um, uh, um, Huckabee's makes me crack up so hard, but I guess that's not the most sort of cinematic thing. I think like Hudsucker Proxy makes me laugh so hard, and that is an incredibly beautifully designed movie. Raising Arizona, those guys do it. Do you have a favorite Coen Brothers moment? I have one. Um, I'm curious for yours, though. Um, I think, I mean, gosh, the end of Hudsucker Proxy where he's floating in midair and the movie tilts into sort of a, like poetry I love. But I love when he first invents the hula hoop. I love that. I love at the end maybe of Barton Fink. Um, I love when the hallway catches on fire and the last shot of that movie that kind of sort of cinches this whole we- this whole very strange existential dreadful dream logic movie together and it's baffling but it also sort of makes intuitive sense and it's just so beautiful what are yours uh the one that came to mind for me and it's it's, i feel bad saying lebowski because i feel like it's like their populist choice (laughs) but i distinctly remember seeing big lebowski in theaters which i was fairly young i was like 15 or 16 and that was not a big movie in theaters so it was like kind of an empty theater and uh the scene where Walter spits the air, his, uh, the <laughs> ear up in the air, and you get that slow motion shot of mm-hmm. the bloody ear. I remember like like uh, like a cliche movie critic fa- like falling into the aisle <laughs> laughing, just like my sides hurt. Like you know, like the, like the thing you'd hear a cliche movie critic say, like my sides hurt from laughing. I just remember <laughs> that moment so clearly. It was so funny to me. Sound like Gene Shalit. I mean. Those are sort of almost my favorite jokes in movies. You think about broadcast news and Albert Brooks and the flop sweat. I mean, that is not realistic. That is kind of a purely cinematic visual joke, you know, and I love it. Even if you think about, I know that Wolf of Wall Street is not a comedy, but like that scene where they're on Quaaludes, that set piece that goes on for 15 minutes is like probably my favorite comedic set piece of the last six years or something. Like, well, there, there's funny people in that movie. Like, there's a lot of comedians in it. So there's and there's so there's some there is some idea of comedy swirling around within the Wolf of Wall Street, right? I think so. I mean, it is a very charming, intoxicating movie. I mean, you talk about you talk about you know a film where the filmmaking is helping, is doing the story, is doing the same thing as the the narrative. I mean. That movie is fucking ferocious and intoxicating, and that's what the people are. And isn't it so it – just when you walk out of that movie, you are just – I felt like revved up like I just you know ate Adderall or something. Right. I was like, oh, yeah, oh my god. Totally, yeah. I could watch this movie five more times, and I did. That movie's three hours long, but not for one moment is that movie boring. And that's – I loved it. I love that stuff. So we're getting – Free, and this is not a problem, but we're, we're not. I want to get back to this concept of moments, 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 moments. What Go else ahead. was on your list of movie moments? Uh, you want to go current or old school? I mean, there's some deep cuts in here. Uh, give me some. Give me something current because I feel like your first one was an Italian director who I already forgot the name of. <laughs> What's current? I honestly, I don't know if I like movies anymore. I mean, current things that I love. What have I been watching recently? I um. I mean, I thought that Inside Out had like a bunch of really beautiful stuff. There are some jokes. That's a cinematic movie, yeah. I think so, and there are some jokes in that film that are just so wonderful. I love. I mean, and they're thrown away. They're just like dumped, and that's what makes them so funny and it's so sweet. I mean, 
standouts. I mean, I love the scene where they're sort of in the train and what is it? Is it facts and opinions. I can't, sometimes can't tell them apart. Oh, that joke like, is so – that's such a good joke. That's I, like the best joke. It and is. It's, it's a perfect joke. It really is. Um, you know, I had Pat and I was uh, Pat was on this podcast, and we had our annual summer movie review, as we always do, and we talked about Inside Out. And I think one thing we talked about exa- is exactly what you're talking about here, and the way that the design of that movie is like so uh, is so good at telling the story. And there's like a scene where you know, not to spoil the movie, I don't, I don't, it, it, you know, maybe fast forward a minute if you really, <laughs> but um, there's a scene where like. Just when a ball come when the balls come out towards the end and they have the mixed color in them, like no one says anything. It's like not explained, but mm-hmm. it's like a kind of a jaw dropping moment. It's like a really big moment, and it's only because of like color, like not even like cinematography or anything, but just like the use of color throughout the movie is like set you up for this big moment. And that's sort of the resolution of the plot is just like a blue and yellow ball emerges, but it's a huge moment. And it's, very, it's incredibly emotional. I mean, that, that's a great move. Those are my favorite kind of movies that where they're using comedy and they're using imagination to sort of push an emotion. And by the end of the movie, it is incredibly moving. And for me, that's the most exciting thing. That's kind of what Final Girls is attempting in some sort of a way. In, in what way? Well, I mean, you know, Final Girls is not really a horror spoof, as some people might think it is. You know, Final Girls is more like Pleasantville, or it's more like Back to the Future. Oh, I love those and, movies. Those are great. <laughs> Sold. Those are the best movies. And, you know, and it, the kids get sucked into a horror movie, of course, but it really is a story about a girl and, you know, the loss of her mother. She gets sucked into her dead mother's most famous film. Her mom was an actress. And the end of the movie, the big finish of the movie, is an emotional payoff. Um, but you're using the genre to kind of push that emotional agenda. And that's always very exciting to me. It makes it so much more exciting than something like Amour, which is a great movie, but holy shit, that is just, I'm not crying when I see that movie. That I am just like devastated. People, right? Yes, yes. That's the one about old people. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's very. It's a very sober look at death and dying in a way that seems incredibly taboo to actually think about it and hold it. But I don't feel moved. I don't cry at that movie because I haven't fallen in love with the people. I haven't felt charmed by the film. The movies I cry the most in are the ones that are just like full of humanity, almost a really um, positive, a positive empathy, a real, a real humanity in those movies. I mean, I know people hate Cameron Crowe now. I don't know why they do, but those movies to me are just they're they're cheesy, they're schmaltzy, they're heat, earnest. I don't know why those are dirty words, but fuck it. I thought Aloha was kind of good. And certainly there are moments in that movie, even if you didn't love it, that are just so dense and rich with emotion. The end, there's a, there's a scene at the end of that movie that is just so great. And if that movie, if it, you know, that scene was in a like, Jerry Maguire, people would think it was a classic scene. Can you tell uh, me, I'm curious, I got to admit, I did not see Aloha, sort of scared away by the reviews on that one. Yeah, so I'm curious, people. like, you know, and it's, I think it's okay if you spoil Aloha for me, you know, maybe people will skip ahead a minute or two if they're planning on catching up on Aloha still. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what is, what happens at the end that makes it that's so, uh, that's so good? There is a reuniting with, uh, I mean, I don't want to ruin it, but you know. All right, fair enough, fair enough. No, I'll, I'll say. I mean, it's Bradley. I mean, it turns it Bradley Cooper, Rachel McAdams. You know, they used to be lovers, not lovers anymore. There's this. She has a child, and it's kind of unclear if the child is his or not. And at and and does the daughter know or doesn't she know? And at the end of the movie, there's just a purely visual way to express that. Yes, it is his daughter, and yes, it is okay. 
And it's just beautiful. And it's done almost with no dialogue. You know, it's purely cinematic. And it's, uh, to me, I thought, I'm a softie. I mean, I'm a real tender-hearted lunatic. But I thought it was really moving. And it's so easy for sort of snarkazoids to be like, Ew, <laughs> Ew, she, well, she's playing an Asian, but she looks like she's white. It's like, fuck you. You know, it's like, his job, what's his job? It doesn't make any sense. It's like, I don't fucking care. What? How about the rest of it? So, you know, I, I feel the same way about Chappie. I'll take a moment and defend Chappie. Did you see Chappie? Ah, uh, you're not going to like this. I saw the first 10 minutes on an airplane and turned it off. <laughs> oh, my God. That's how I felt about Tomorrowland. I was like, what is this antique? Like, I did watch. This- I have seen Tomorrowland. I could speak to Tomorrowland. I watched like 10 minutes of Chappie on an airplane, and I was like, you know what? I'll just read. Oh, man. I thought Chappie was real cool. <laughs> I thought Chappie felt really modern, weirdly enough. I thought the tone of that movie was so wild, and that's what people didn't like about it. But I thought it was like... Just a fucking punk rock short circuit with a crazy tone that, like, vacillated between, like, this really sweet thing and then this really fucking crazy, this, these crazy sort of, um, who were they, the, um, who were the fucking South Africa, the, um, Diane Wood? That was not, and then the Hugh Jackman stuff is bad. But it's okay, it has enough good in there that that movie is at least trying. I think that, I think that where I am now is that, I just think that maybe ambition is my favorite quality in a movie right now. Yes, absolutely. They all feel a little bit lazy. So it's almost like failed ambition is a lot more exciting than successful, you know, homogenous laziness. Yeah, that's something Pat and I talk a lot about when he's on the show or possibly not when he's on the show. I can't keep it straight anymore. But just the idea of like, I love a a movie that's like a, a big swing. Like I'm willing to forgive a lot. Uh, if a movie is at least swinging for the fences, you know that's how, that's how I feel. So these movies, th- those two movies, swung even Interstellar. That movie swung so hard. Like, did I love that movie? Am I going to buy it? Probably not. No, but I thought that was kind of an incredible, an incredible cinematic experience. It's totally, exciting. I agree completely. Yeah. I like Interstellar. And, yeah, yeah. I said so, I said so last week on the podcast too. What's a movie? Is there a movie that made you cry that like people would not believe made you cry? Yes, I have. A lo- um, first of all, they all make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I cry all the time now. No. You know what I watched last week? That It's actually a good question. I watched this last week, and I cried, I think, three times in this film. And I don't know. And it was surprising to me that I did. I, I've been going through sort of my collection of movies, just trying to sort of find things that are inspiring as I, I design my next project. And I, I watched Little Children because I had remembered that I loved that movie. You know that movie? I don't know that. I, uh, what is it again? Remind me. It's a Todd Field movie and it's Patrick Wilson and Jennifer Connelly yeah, yeah, and Kate yeah, yeah, Winslet yeah. and Jack Earl Haley um, was uh, nominated for the Oscar. And it was a New Line movie from maybe seven or eight years ago. And it's based on a book. And it's his second film. And I remember just seeing it randomly in my mid-20s. And then I bought it. I don't remember why I bought it, but I remember that it really affected me, and I rewatched it last week. And that fucking movie made me cry three times. And do you know why? Because they humanized a pedophile. That is very difficult to do. But Jack Earl Haley or Healy plays this, you know, plays a pretty, uh, plays a monster. But the movie humanizes him. He lives with his mother. His mother passes away. The neighborhood hates him. There's one scene in particular in that movie that is just got so much. It's complicated because, you know, it's easy to just sort of, that's a bad guy. 
but maybe are there actually bad guys, you know, if you can kind of understand someone's motivation, you know, sometimes the most horrible acts people can do is their own weird fucked up way of, I don't know, searching for some kind of peace in some disgusting, torturous way. And there's a scene where he goes on a date with a woman and the woman is super fucked up. She has a nervous breakdown and he's there and he's like being kind to her. And it's very, very sweet. These two real fringe, sad, broken people on a date. And it just, for me at least, it filled me with, I just felt so connected to their suffering. You know, it was beautiful. And then it cuts to, you know, he drives or she drives him home and you cut to, he's just like, looks like a monster and he's jerking off to her. And you're like, oh fuck, this guy is bad. But and then his mother dies. And then you're like, oh my God, this poor bastard. That's the only thing holding him together. And then he cuts his penis off. Like, it doesn't sound, it doesn't, <laughs> like, it doesn't sound like a fun movie to watch, but it is beautiful filmmaking. And something about the humanity and the lack of judgment almost made me just get incredibly um, sad, but in a way that made me feel connected to other people, which is my favorite thing a movie can do. It's almost the antithesis of a Todd Solon's movie where it's the same sorts of characters, but there's almost a judgment or, you know what I mean? Like, or like a bitter, like a bitter judgment and irony or something about them. It's, it's not quite as open, you know, open arm, not quite so embracing of the people. So those movies kind of put me off. Like happiness turns me off. It's, I don't like laughing at those people, but in this film, you don't laugh at them. You cry with them, for them. Do you often rewatch movies? No, um, I uh, no, I don't. But if they're my favorites, I'll sometimes go back and I'll I'll re um I'll just re-explore them. There's a couple movies I always watch over and over because I they they I love them so much. But then some movies I kind of like I like I remember loving that movie. Let me see what that movie's all about again. And sometimes I remember that I'm right. And sometimes I remember that maybe I what was I thinking? What was one where it was a what was I thinking recently? Mm. That's a good question. What was a good? What was I thinking? I don't know. What What did I watch recently that I was bored by? I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I usually like them, or usually, or like, you know, like what did I see recently? I watched. Um, I watched. Um, I, like I watched like Back to the Future three again. You know, just to be like, I don't like this, right? Just to make sure. And I don't. It's hard for me to even judge Back to the Future two or three or any of them really it's like hard to even say if i like them or not they're just they just are what they are like they almost exist outside of cinema they're just like this other thing entirely that i feel unable to objectively judge or like i think i tried like dark Shieling again and was like i don't like this movie or i do like i was like being too harsh and i was like well it's kind of amazing but i don't like it that much it's like not pleasant there is a movie that I am afraid to revisit, which is Chasing Amy. I grew up oh, yeah. a pretty nerdy kid in New Jersey, so I was pretty into Kevin Smith movies, as you might imagine. And I used to love Chasing Amy, and I'm legitimately afraid to rewatch it. I'm afraid to revisit it because I think I might not like. Like when I was like 14 or 15, I was like, "This is it, man. This movie's everything," you know. And like, I'm sort of afraid to revisit it and find out what's actually inside. That's so funny that you say that. I, I also was obsessed with Mallrats and that movie and Clerks. I had those movies basically memorized. I had the screenplays and I would read them. I bought them from VSQ. I used to go to that website every day and he would sign. He signed my stuff. Like I used to go to Red Bank just to go to that comic shop. Like yeah. I was yeah, I was like I was heavy into that stuff also, but I'm pretty sure they do not hold up. I watched Mallrats recently and that's a, there are certain movies that I totally acknowledge. 
um, I have no perspective on and cannot judge if they're good and good or not. And Mallrats and Clerks are on there. Uh, and like UHF is another one. The Weird Al movie UHF. Uh, someone asked me if it was good, and I'm like, I don't know if it's good or not. All I can tell you is that <laughs> it's the best movie of all it. time, and that I love it. You know, Joe Joe versus a volcano is one of those for me. I, people don't like that movie. That was like a critically sort of panned movie. I can't. I'm like not allowed to say that movie is one of my favorites. Like in a meeting, you know, in like Hollywood Hollywood, Hollywood showbiz land. <laughs> like that's not a good one to yeah. say. But I love that movie. I love what is it everything about, about that movie? it. I don't really. I do remember seeing it when I was way. I was too young. I was like eight or nine. I mean, we could look what year it came out. I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters, and like I did not like it as like an eight or nine year old boy. But I don't remember. I don't think I've seen it since then. Well, what is it about that movie? It seems like a very unique movie. Like what else is like that? It's unique. It's beautiful. It's crazy. It's conceptual. It really is one person's voice. It's John Patrick Shanley. It's Tom Hanks. It's Tom Hanks is a guy who works in some shit job. The tone of comedy is also so specific, but hilarious, but zany. He's a guy who works at a terrible job. He's really depressed. Um, you know, the fluorescent lights are always flickering. Like, he's just miserable in his horrible job. And one day, he's diagnosed by a doctor with a brain cloud, which is terminal, and he's going to die. And the doctor says, you know, you don't have to just sort of, like, go to your job every day and die like this. In fact, there's a there's, like... There's like a tribe on an island in the Pacific that has a volcano, and they they need to um they need to have a person jump into the volcano once a year for the for the gods. They need to you know sacrifice a person to keep the gods happy, and and if you're willing to do that, that's an amazingly you know beautiful way to to end your life, um you know and uh, it's all expenses paid. Go have an adventure, and so Tom Hanks does this. And then what happens is Meg Ryan plays three different characters in the film. Oh, um, I like that. Who, I like who, that. <laughs> who gets him from his neighborhood. Then there's Meg Ryan on a boat. Then there's Meg Ryan on the island. And it's, she plays three very specific characters. And it's all about you know him going to this island and falling in love. And when he gets to the island, they invent a crazy tribe of like pseudo-Polynesians who only drink orange soda. And it's so crazy. That That is unlike... Other films, is there like a specific moment in the movie that stands out in your mind? There's so many. I mean, visually, it's just, it's, it's, I love, I mean, it's very theatrical in a weird way. There's a lot of the movie takes place on the, at sea. And he's um, at sea and the boat sinks. And he has this, um, this very expensive luggage that he's purchased. You know, they give him a lot of money and he buys all this great, great luggage. You know what's crazy is I saw this movie when I was eight years old and I remember that. The luggage is a plot point, right? Yes, the the boat sinks. I can't believe I remember that. Yeah, the boat the boat sinks, and he ties all the luggage together, and he sort of makes the luggage into a raft, and he's going crazy alone at sea, and she's kind of in a coma, or she's blacked out, or something. And there's a scene where the the moon rises over the horizon, and the moon is gigantic, humongous, and he's silhouetted by the moon, and he's like, and he's dancing, or he's like, he's, and it's it's so, it's just a purely cinematic moment that is beautiful and funny and bittersweet and to me like moments like that are like it's sort of transcendent that's the best thing a movie can be you know but always with a little bit with always with humor always funny you know um that that's probably my standout moment in that movie it's classic the worst thing I feel a movie can do is when it takes itself too seriously and now I'm going to bring you back to Tomorrowland which was a movie I thought kind of took itself too seriously right um I just it just felt so antique, you know. To me, like I love Brad Bird movies. I love Iron Giant. I love his Mission Impossible. I think he's a genius. 
But for some also, reason, also he worked on a little show called The Simpsons, which isn't half bad. <laughs> Now, The Simpsons, well, you know, I don't know. I like The Critic better. <laughs> he worked on The Simpsons uh, early <laughs> on when it, wasn't, it wasn't, when it wasn't as good as it is now. Um, he, I don't know what it is about. I watched that movie on a plane also. I just got immediately bored because it felt so antique. It felt antiquated. It, I love what it's about. I love it's about imagination, ingenuity, science, optimistic, you know, forward thinking. There used to be, you know, in the 30s and 40s, futurists, you know, movies and books and things about the future used to be really positive world's fair you know the possibilities of the future now everything is like a young adult dystopia like it's so boring like no more dystopia so i really appreciated that this movie didn't do that i love that in fact the the message of the movie is basically what you just said you kind yeah. of sound like the bad guy at the end of the movie <laughs> so i so i love the thematic stuff i loved what it was about but then sort of like Every movement of the story, it's fucking all white people. Like, it just felt so old. And also, like, all the design stuff is, like, parroting stuff from the 50s and 60s. It's like, it's like, it's two seven, it's like 2015. Like, could we just try to, you know, push things forward instead of always looking backwards? But, but even in that movie, which I agree is really not a good movie. It sounds like I might have even liked it better than you did. Uh, <laughs> but it's definitely not a good movie. But there are definitely some cool parts. Um, most of them are almost certainly like glances of the future technology, um, which are very cartoony and cool. In particular, one thing I I thought I think of with that movie is like, and this is just in the background. Like this is no one. This is not a part of the plot at all. But I think when they first get there, you see that there's like these suspended cubes of water and people diving between the cubes of water. Oh Remember my god. That? That was really cool. That's the the guys with the, the world. The guys with the jetpacks flying around, like skateboarders, was cool. Like all that stuff was cool. So, with that in mind, is there a, a movie? Uh, what what's like? And this is the one I question I prepared you for. Best scene in an otherwise skippable movie. I thought that was a really fun question. It didn't come. It didn't come so fast. But I, I just sort of yeah, like there, like, um, well, there's a couple bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> But they're like bad, good, like, you know, you ever It doesn't see- even have to be bad, it's just skippable, you know? Like, it's yep. easy to say, like, oh, the opening montage of Goodfellas is great. Like, yeah, all of Goodfellas is great. <laughs> like, the whole movie's great. <laughs> but, there's a but- couple of, there's a couple of, you never see What Planet Are You From? The uh, Larry Sanders, not Larry Sanders, uh, Gary Shandling movie, right? It's Gary Shandling and Mike Nichols. It's a I, dr- and, Annette, and Annette Bening. It's a real dream team, and and it's and it's maybe it's right in the early you know, mid nineties, maybe. I think it's early two thousands, even. It might be. It's really it's really not good, but it is very very brilliant observations, and the concept is so funny. And there's one per- there's like lots of great jokes in the movie, and there's great observations in the movie. But the whole thing does not totally hold together. But it's about, you know, it's a great idea. It's about a planet of men, but not like, you know, like war-torn, like buff wrestlers. It's like a bunch of Gary Shandlings, just like dopey dudes on a planet that's dying because there's no women. And so they send a man who's never met a woman to Earth to get her pregnant to sort of save his world. (laughs) And it's Gary Shandling who comes down to Earth and is like desperate to to impregnate a woman. And it's the dance you have to do, you know, to sort of get a girl to like you and to marry you and to have a kid. And so that's the way into a thousand different observations about men and women. But some of the jokes are so silly. His penis, when it when he becomes aroused, hums like a vibrator. 
And they set that up pretty early in the movie. And then throughout the movie, when you're least expecting it, he's having just a conversation with a girl or he's in the car or he's ordering fast food or something. And you just hear the hum. And it is so fucking funny. That is funny. That's funny to give the audience an audio cue of when the main character has a boner. That's funny. Yes, I like that. But they do it really smart. Like, it's not like, you know, dopey, fratty. It's like, it's like Michael Nichols and Gary Shen. Like, it's a great yeah. big idea into a very specific bunch of, um, you know, observations about, you know, love and sex. I love that answer because I, uh, I was I was aware of that movie. I think it's sort of like one of those movies, like kind of a legendary Hollywood bomb or something, where like people are just like stay away, and no one's actually more people like have heard of it than have actually seen it. But it is Mike Nichols and Gary Shandling and Annette Bening, so it's it's reassuring. It's nice to hear that it's not a total disaster. Like surely when those people get together, like something interesting happens. I mean, there's great. It's bad, but it's great. It's one of those. There's a lot of movies like that. There's, I mean, visually a lot of the. A lot of the best sort of like imagery comes from movies that don't totally work. Maybe because the filmmaker or the crew or writer have, have tilt, tilted almost so much into the imagery. There's one called Gunraku. Have you known this movie? No, Gunraku? B. Gunraku. It's, okay. It is real nuts. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it's Josh Hartnett um, is in it. Woody Harrelson's in it, too. I think it's like a young Israeli filmmaker. I don't know where the money came from, but some of the imagery or some of the visual ideas are just like next level beautiful. It's very theatrical. It feels very stagey. There's a lot of, you know, um, light shifts. The colors are insane. It feels, it's almost like a more theatrical Dick Tracy, you know, in terms of its sort of color and tone, its palette. Um, Dick Tracy is an extraordinarily theatrical movie in terms of color and tone and palette, isn't it? This, this is more. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dick Tracy is insanely, like, neon lit, right? I love, I mean, that's one of my favorites of all time. I love that movie. I think it's so artful and beautiful. This is like that on crack. Like, and and it's not good, but there are some fight scenes in the movie. There, there are some, like, you know, 10-minute long takes. There are takes that move through a space, and the space transforms around you. Um, there's just, like, a lot of brilliant sort of cinematic um, ideas in the film, even though the story, you know, doesn't really make a tremendous amount of sense, and it's not that exciting, and the acting is a little bit, you know, it's just a little bit, you know, um, cardboardy, wooden, you know, but but Im- the imagery, the visual is like so much to take, so much to be inspired by in that film. Another one, you want to hear one you're gonna love? Yeah, please. You ever see Jack and Jill? No, I've not. This is you are a fearless moviegoer, Todd. Bad reviews do not scare you away. <laughs> Jack and Jill, man. I don't know what to tell you. I thought that was. I, a pretty- I have nothing against the movie. I don't mean to be like, whoa, you liked it. Like, I, I, I don't know anything about it other than that. Every like, literally everyone on Earth said it was terrible, except for you. It is terrible. But Al Pacino was in that movie, and he is hilarious. I love Al Pacino. I love everything Al Pacino does. Al Pacino tickles me all the time. And in Jack and Jill, he, he plays like a like a dope who like runs a Dunkin' Donuts or something. There's one the thing that I remember about that movie. There's a double Dutch scene that's hilarious. But the real thing, and you can YouTube it. Um, Al Pacino, <clears throat> excuse me, Al Pacino has raps. He raps about donuts and coffee. He raps about a thing called a Dunkachino. I think <laughs> he does a dunk. You know the Dunkachino rap, but it's Al Pacino like doing it like method, but like being funny. It's so fucking insane. It's like a Tim and Eric moment. But 
uh, made me laugh real hard. And so I like that one. I will definitely look that up. You know, a crazy thing about Al Pacino is, uh, even though he's one of the best actors of all time, is in some of the best movies of all time, not only is he in Jack and Jill, but he's also in Geely. Have you ever seen Geely? I saw it in theaters only. I don't have an opinion. It's bad, though. It's really bad, right? It is really. It is quite terrible. But it's just amazing how Al Pacino, like, also managed to walk his way into, like, two of the worst movies ever. I find him so watchable all the time and everything. He is just so full of vitality, even still. I got... I got more, baby. Yeah, keep them coming. Keep them coming. I got one more, maybe. I don't know. But um, you ever see Haywire? I did. I love Haywire. Pat really likes Haywire, too, since we keep talking about Pat. I mean, it's so interesting because Soderbergh is like such a genius. Talk about disruptive. I mean, that guy has been disruptive his whole career. It's really exciting to watch his work, even if you don't like it, even if they don't totally work. There's always a new – he's just innovative. I mean, it's in every way possible. It's, It's just exciting to watch it. Um, Haywire, I thought was okay. It wasn't my, my favorite action movie ever. But the big idea in that movie, you know, you guys know, is that almost all of the action set pieces are shot with a static, wide lens, and the camera is really far away. It is literally the opposite of every other movie. You know, where the camera is sort of like in there, being cut real fast. You know, trying to confuse you, make you feel. You know, the energy of the scene. Like it's not that. It's literally just you are 25 feet away on like a 25 mil, 24 minutes, and the camera just doesn't move, and you watch the fight play out just like a dance. And I thought that was such a such an ambitious and new idea, and it was amazing to see that it actually it works beautifully, you know. Um, so I love those scenes in that movie. Have you ever seen? And I have accidentally recommended this movie several times to the same people on this podcast but it's a good movie to recommend because it is quite good and no one has ever seen it uh ninja 2 shadow of a tear i have not seen that movie it's on netflix it's a great action movie it's like uh it's like the best usa action movie of all time you know it's like it's like a you know, like, sometimes you see a bad action movie, and you're like, why are they doing anything except fighting at any moment? And, like, that is Ninja Shadow of a Tear. <laughs> it does the same thing where, like, it's not fancy filmmaking because it's such a low-budget movie, but because the performers are so, um, I don't know, ninja-like, I guess, you know, good at whatever it is they're doing on screen. Uh, there's a lot of, like, really unbroken takes or, like where you get to, like, see that they're, like, really doing this, and it makes the movie feel... Uh, exciting, because even though the plot's not exciting, like, it's just exciting watching these human beings do this stuff. What are your, what's your most, let me ask you one, what's your, like, most, some of the most romantic scenes Uh, for you in film? That's a good question. Uh, You know, here's the most cliche answer of all time, but the scene at the end of um, City Lights with Charlie Chaplin. That that one. That's that. You know what, here's one that makes me, I'll I'll tell you one, this is not romantic, but it's a a surprising scene that always makes me choke up. Not romantic, so I'm a little bit dodging your question. But Mm -hmm. in School of Rock, which is one of, as the years go on, I come to realize is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, The scene in School of Rock, I think I might have talked about this on the show at one point too, uh, at the very end, which is a great fucking scene at the end of this great fucking movie, uh, when the dad comes in and the girl who's fat, I'm describing her as fat because that is the plot of the movie is she thinks Mm -hmm. she's heavy, right? And she like gets up on stage and sings and her dad like didn't even Mm -hmm. know this was a thing she did, but then she gets up on stage and sings. I always get choked up at that part of that stupid yeah. movie. And I always watch that. That is a 
that and um, that thing you do are like my number one like <laughs> up channel flipping stoppers. It's like whatever is going on, I'm watching the rest of this movie. I know the moment in School of Rock you're talking about. It. it is so beautiful, right? That's almost a little children thing. That's just like so human, you know? That's just like so much empathy. We're just like hardwired for it. That's why when you watch like that scene in that movie, like something biologically in your body is just like, ugh, you know? It just like pulls it out of you. I'm trying to think. I don't want to completely dodge your most romantic question, and I don't feel like I've totally had a great answer yet. Uh, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell. I'll tell you. Yeah, give give, give my, me a minute to think about. It. What's yours? You think about it for. I got my. I think I. Wa- I rewatched it recently. I, I bought the Criterion. It, it's. It's the scene in Fisher King in um, Grand Central. You know what I'm talking about? I've actually never seen Fisher King, but I would like to. It's a Terry you, Gilliam movie, isn't it? Yeah, go buy the Criterion. That oh, one's I gotta loaded. See that. I love Terry it's, Gilliam. It's. It's wonderful. It's 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 one of my well it's not the best but it's one of my favorite Terry Gilliams. It's so it's such a great idea. It's mythic. It's beautiful. It's a romance, but it's like zany and funny. And I've never seen Manhattan shot that way. Like Terry Gilliam takes what he does in like Baron Munchausen, but does it on location in New York. You know, he turns a real city into you know a dream a dream fantasy world, and it works for the story. But there's a scene. In the movie, Robin Williams is uh, in love with Amanda Plummer, and they're both these, again, sort of fringe weirdo characters, and, um, and he's so madly in love with her, and he's, wa- he's following her. He's, wa- he's following her through Grand Central Station, and, um, and as he's walking through Grand Central Station, suddenly and there's you know, a million people you know, rushing to get to the train to get home, and, and right as he's walking through Grand Central, all the lights shift, a disco ball starts up, beautiful sort of orchestral symphonic music begins to play and everyone in the train station starts to um, waltz. All of the people that were racing to their trains are waltzing and he is following her now through a waltz, through, you know, 500 people in Grand Central dancing. And it is this sort of dream idea that is the most, I don't know, it's just the most fucking romantic, beautiful idea to me ever. Again, that's 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 a compl- that's a purely cinematic idea, but it is just it's one of my favorite things in movies ever. That is a good one. I am gonna have trouble beating it. I can't. Have you, just been, have you just been googling this whole time? A little bit. I came with yeah. two. <laughs> uh, one is another cliche answer, but up. Like the first fifteen minutes up are mm-hmm. obviously like you know uh, basically what all of life is about. <laughs> and um, the other, but the other one that came to mind uh, was what was I gonna say? Oh, Punch Drunk Love. I mm. love the Punch Drunk Love, which is not uh, a somewhat polarizing movie. I think there's a lot of people that don't like that movie. But for some like reason... That movie is amazing. The score of that movie in particular is... Yeah, like the amazing. score and the, the scenes with the colors, you know? Oh, and the, it's so good. And there's a scene... And I, I, can't, I haven't seen the movie in a while, so I can't even really remember the context. But I do remember... The moment in the movie uh, where with like there's just a long shot of them like finally getting together and the music and I can like picture it and I can hear it and I can feel it. I can't exactly place where it is in the movie. Um, but Punch Drunk Love, I think, is a, a romantic film that really spoke to me. There's the beautiful scene where they, they, they sort of, you know, they trot towards each other and then as they embrace, the background just starts to move and all these right, people yeah. suddenly flood in there. That's, that's actually like a kind of a cousin to the Fisher King thing. It's, it's a way to make the image of the movie, the story of the movie, the filmmaking of the movie, just, you know, it just sort of inflates for a moment to give you that, that feeling of infatuation. It's what, you know, it's what movies like, oh, I don't know. 
27 dresses don't do. You know, that's the difference. Like, that's the difference when you talk about that stuff. You know what another one for me is probably the most romantic or my favorite ending of any movie ever is Before Sunset. You know that one? I do. I love those. I finally, I got mine. I got mine. I want, remind me when you're done. I want to get back to mine. But talk about Before Sunset for a minute because I love that movie. I just, I mean, that, I mean, I don't know how he does it, man. I don't know how he does it. But those are, those three are the most romantic films ever. And they make me nostalgic for an experience I never had, you know, somehow. Um, and I love the conversations. I got lost in the, you know, the locations. But there is just something, not sentimental in like a bad way, but I don't know why. It just, I feel so, gosh, I don't know, just touched or, or moved or sympathetic at the end. I don't know what it is, but the end of Before Sunset in particular, they've been flirting. They've been dancing around each other the whole film. He ends up in her apartment in France. He's got a plane to catch, and she's playing Nina Simone. And she does like this little, this little cute little dance, and he's sitting on there, and it just somehow feels like love. It feels like any time you've experienced that feeling, you know? And, um, and she goes, you're going to miss your plane. And he, and he doesn't even respond. And the music kind of plays, and it just cuts to black. And it... What's great about it is that it doesn't close the circle. You know, so many movies kind of close the circle at the end. And so you kind of know what it is. That's a perfect little ending. And then you leave the theater and it doesn't hold you. But when you don't close the ending quite so tightly, did he leave? Is he there? Did he miss the plane? What is it? That feeling just drifts into you and stays in you. And you sort of walk out with that feeling. I remember seeing that movie and I was in a group of people and I had to leave the group. I had to be alone. I couldn't, I wanted to hold on to that. I just wanted to hold on to that emotion for as long as I could. Uh, I love those films and that one in particular. That is a great answer. Mine is way worse. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you know what I realized is it, it was triggered when you said before sunset because I saw this movie like this summer. I just saw this movie for the first time around the first time I saw before sunset, which, you know, I think speaks to like something about the magic of movies that like it, you, you talking about that just immediately made me think of not only the movie, but the time I first saw it. And then another movie I saw um, th- around that time Uh which is, I also realized as I thought about it, it is not romantic, but in my, it's just very sentimental in my head. Uh, it, it feels, it's a different type of romantic, I guess. And it's a foreign film, and it is the end of Cinema Paradiso, which I know mm. you've seen. I know you've seen Cinema Paradiso, right? The best, so beautiful, yeah. The end of that movie... Um, with uh, the montage, you know, that the, the his friend leaves behind for him, you know, like that scene. I remember we watched that movie in like school. So we I watched it in like five 30-minute chunks over the course of a week. Just the worst, like the worst possible way to experience a, a movie, right? Uh, but the ending like still fucking got me. It got me so good. That movie's amazing. It's so great. Yeah, that movie is amazing. That was one of the first foreign films I think I ever saw. I saw it in the theater. That was such a, I remember that, that movie touched culture in some kind of a way that was so significant that my parents were like, "We're going to see that film." Right, right. It's one and of those. and they took me. Yeah, yeah. That was that's a great one. I there's all that jazz is a great. There's a scene in that movie. You know that movie pretty well or not? Really? I don't. Earlier when you said all that jazz, I wasn't sure if you meant more of what you were already talking about or the film All That Jazz. <laughs> no, you should watch that one too. That's another. That's one of the greatest. I rewatched that movie. I I've seen that movie in high school, but I rewatched that movie not so long ago. That's another Criterion that came out. And it is just next level. It's autobiographical. It's personal, expressionist. It's like the greatest. It's a story, again, like Final Girl. It's a bit about grief and death and mortality. 
but in this shell of like a musical with like sexuality and pizzazz and it's it's cut in such an aggressive it's cut in such a fascinatingly aggressive way um it, it came out in the late 70s it's almost a precursor to how music videos were being cut in the early 80s it's it's that it's that forward thinking it's really progressive in terms of the way that it's made but you know this is about a a womanizer a drug riddled workaholic womanizer who basically gives himself a heart attack. It's Bob Fosse's sort of life story. But you also love this guy and he's got a girlfriend, he's got a daughter, he's got an ex-wife and there is again something so human about the movie. These people don't hate each other. There's no good, there's no bad, there's not that kind of you know ironic judgment or detachment. There's one scene in particular in the middle of the movie that's set to um, Everything Old is New Again, which is a great song. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and he's come home from a long day of work. He comes to his house. It's his daughter and his girlfriend. And the, the two women have, um, have put together a fun, little, a fun, cute little dance for him. For him. He's a choreographer in the movie. And he sits down and we see the daughter and the, and the girlfriend, young girlfriend, do this hilarious, this hilarious, tender, sweet dance for him, right, just to sort of brighten his spirits, to lift his spirits a little bit. He's exhausted. And you see just, you know, the love in his eyes. And you see, it's just such a nice, it's just such a nice thing. And it, this is a true thing in life. People do this to each other. You, you know, you're sick, you're tired, try to lift someone's spirits, make them laugh. And that's the scene. And it's done in dance without dialogue again. Um, and it is just one of the sweetest things ever. It's one of the greatest sort of family moments uh, maybe in movies for me. When you're actually making a movie, do you think about these moments? Are you able to see like, oh, this is going to be a moment in the movie? And do you think about it that way? Or I don't, I don't know. How does that work? How do you mean? Well, you mean? just do you, do you do you think about these moments? I guess you must when you're making the movie. Like this is going to this. Do you think about like the big moments in the movie? Or do you think about big scenes? Or is, is it acts? Or is it all these things at once? Like how, how, do, you, how do you break down the movie when you're making it in your mind? That's kind of a good question. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, how do you do it? I don't know. I don't really know what I, I do. I certainly don't. I've never made a feature film. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know that this scene is, you know, you want people to feel this way in this scene. So what's the best way to make that happen, you know? You know that this scene is going to be, you know, there's a moment in Final Girls, for instance, where Angela Trimber, who we all know, who's the fucking great, um, does uh, kind of a striptease. She does a striptease uh, to lure the killer. And, you know, I, you know, you, you hope the intention as you're sort of designing the movie is that you're going to build this character and you're going to build the tension and you're going to build the anticipation to a moment where when she does that striptease, it is, it plays like a great joke and also the sort of culmination of a lot of setup that's invisible setup. And you want the audience to sort of applaud when it happens, you know, it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Good wait. You know? So I sometimes like to sort of feel like how it's going to, to be able to conduct the story or to orchestrate the story so the crowd you know does what they want you to does what you want them to do it does it sort of feels like a piece of music in a weird way you know it's like we're going to go real fast here and then I'm going to go real fast so that I can get 10 minutes and you're going to slow down you're going to feel it you're going to feel the sweetness you're going to feel the nostalgia but then I'm going to spike it with that that came out of left field you didn't know that was coming but then we're going to come right back around you know and it's like that's how the movies are designed, you know, with that kind of a flow in a weird way. 
And then the challenge is coming up with interesting, new, more innovative or not cliched ways to actually be specific about those those bigger feelings or moods, you know? Well, let me ask you this. Do you think in 10 years in the future Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin podcast hosted by the talented progeny I have inspired, you know, the new version <laughs> of it 20, 30 years from now, they're talking about movie moments with a director and, and this movie comes up. Do you think you have a sense of what someone would say their favorite moments of the final girls is, or is that, do you think that would surprise you? Um, I mean, I've seen it now with enough audiences that you kind of get a sense of what is, what is working. I certainly know what did, my favorite scenes but did that, are. Did the moments that are working, did that surprise you at all? Um, like from when you were in the editing room to when you saw it in the aud- with an audience? Mm. Uh, no. no <laughs> really. I mean, That's good. I guess, I guess that means it's working like in, as intended. It's not like surprising. Like, oh, I didn't realize that was funny. One scene right, actually, I, there's one moment actually that I didn't realize was funny. This happens actually to me a lot in my life of like, Every now and again, I would try to do something, like, really cool or really dramatic, you know? And, like, I would show it to people, and they would laugh. And I'd be like, oh, I guess I'm just good at comedy. Whoops. I, I guess you, you figured it out anyway. I mean, it's fun listening to you, and, like, listeners, hear this, man. Don't you want to see a movie this guy is directing? Like, everything you say about movies, I'm like, yes, yes, definitely. That's why I'm, just, I'm always so excited to see, uh, see you kind of put that into action and make the kind of movies that I think you and I want to see. I mean, that was the vibe on set. I mean, the cast and the crew, we were all sort of the same age. You know, everyone was kind of our age, and we didn't have very much adult supervision. And I really had a tremendous amount of control over this thing. I mean, after my first movie, I wanted to do something small that would feel more like the shorts, and it was a personal story. And, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of movie that I wish there were more of. It's visually bonkers all over the place. It's funny. It's charming. It's real beautiful. You know, I mean... It's a movie about kids get sucked into a movie, and so it sort of lends itself to it lends itself to putting a lot of the joy of filmmaking into the movie, which I don't really feel it so much anymore, you know. Uh, but I I love like remember Delicatessen, like that movie is in love with movies. You can tell they're just like you know what's great about movies, all the things we're going to do in every scene of this film, and that's kind of what Final Girls is in so many ways attempting. It's not Tucker and Dale versus evil. You know, that's, it couldn't be more different than that. It's more like the stuff we're talking about. And it was so fun to make it. And it's, it's really nice. What's surprising is that when people see it, you know, they feel the same way that we felt about making it. You know, it does feel refreshing and fun and sad, but hilarious and charming and badass. I'm really selling it right now, but it's true. It's really, it's, that's a very nice feeling to know that, that all the stuff that I wish was more in movies, that's not just me. You know, there, there is an appetite and there is a thirst for it. I think there is a thirst for it. And I think uh, listeners of this podcast are among those who are thirsty for it. How, how does one get it? The movie? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's coming out October 9th. It's coming out October 9th. It's going to be in um, select theaters. It's also going to be, I think, like on VOD, same day. And but really go go see it in a theater if it's possible to see it in a theater, and because um, it's a, it's kind of a crowd pleaser. It's one of those movies that you know you loved going to see when you were younger. You know you, you get people are applauding and you scream and yell at the screen and it's a whole thing, and it's all the feelings. It's all the feelings, funny, scary, exciting, sad, all of it, and it's fun to go in a group. It's a good date movie for Halloween or watch it at home, uh, whatever. <laughs> 
I'm you playing know, on your phone. I'm playing on your phone the whole time. I'm you watch hard. Tomorrowland on a phone, so I don't on a plane. So maybe, maybe I don't know if if you get to if you get to dictate <laughs> where people see films. But it's funny, you know, when you said see it in the theater, I was like, oh, of course people should see it in a theater because I'm sure it's cinematic. And as we've been talking about, of course, and there's lots of like interesting visual touches. But I didn't even think about the idea that it's going to be more fun to see it with a crowd, just like a horror movie or a comedy, or much less yeah. that combines elements of both. We um we were lucky with this movie. We went to a lot of film festivals with it. We were the opening night movie in South by Southwest. We were um, at Stanley Film Festival, which is a cool little festival in Colorado. We were in Toronto TIFF just a couple weeks ago, and so you sit in a room with a crowd like that, and the movie comes alive in a in a way that is just so fulfilling. You know, I mean, it is a bit like being a stand-up or a performer. You get to really feel the audience attuned to the movie and. They get real loud, man. I mean, they get really loud. I mean, there were in South by it was the best. My mother, my sister, my whole family was there, and there were like three moments. There was two applause breaks, and in the middle of it, someone yelled out, "This movie's fucking rad!" <laughs> and, and like that is that's just a great. That's just a, that's great because when you're making the movie, you're sitting in the edit and you're so exhausted, and then you watch it for the first time, and you're like, "That's fucking cool!" Like I like that stuff. I, I like the stuff that I make. I make it because I, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. And so when you bring it to an audience and they have the same feeling, you know, it really feels like you're making movies for people and you're attuned to an audience. And it's just nice to feel a crowd erupt like that. You know, it's, that's the kind of movie it is. Awesome. Well, I cannot wait to be a part of one of the erupting crowds. We are recording this before it is out. By the time people are hearing this, I will have seen it. I'm sure I will have enjoyed it. I cannot wait to go see it. Uh, Todd, thanks so much for stopping by talking about movies tonight. Thanks, Jeff. Love you. Love your brain. Okay, you just finished listening to another episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Since recording uh, that conversation with Todd, I have uh, actually seen the movie. I've seen The Final Girls. It's out now. You can go see it. And it's really great. Definitely go check it out. It's so funny. Um, It's really great. I think it really does all those things Todd said he was trying to do. So confirmed, Final Girls is good, and you should check it out. Next episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show, we are going to be talking to an old friend of mine, Matt Little, who very recently uh, took the internet by storm uh, when he filmed a video of a rat with a pizza slice. That's right. We are going to be talking to the creator of Pizza Rat. And uh, not only that, I think... Oh, boy. I'm going to say I'm going to do it now, so I really have to do it and hope it comes out. But I think I am uh, going to videotape that podcast. Matt's coming over, and I'll record the conversation so not only will be able to listen to it, but I don't know, you could theoretically watch us have the conversation. Maybe something. Maybe one of you weirdos is into that. I don't know. Look, we're going to try it, and it's going to be on YouTube.com slash Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin. And, of course, if you go to JeffRubin.com, you'll find this podcast and links to all of my various social media outlets and the entire Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin transmedia experience. I like to call it JRJR360, and you can only go JRJR360 when you go to Jeff Rubin, JeffRubin.com. Let's stop talking now. That's probably enough. That's probably good for today. Thank you so much for listening. Go check out The Final Girls, and see you soon. Bye.